Hey guys, we're back with another episode of Relational Leadership. And again, we try to bring leadership tips that can be used in your everyday life, um, whether you are a mom trying to lead a gaggle of kids or, uh, <laughs> or a CEO of a company and um, trying to just bring you, you know, real life tips that you can use and have a little fun along the way. I'm Stephanie Clements. And I am Stephanie's junior co-host, Sean Dolly. And today <laughs> we're going to be talking about crisis management. And I've heard Herd of Buffalo, Murder of Crows, School of Fish as a parent. I think Gaggle of Kids is probably an apt description. So today we're going to dig into the different types of things that can pop up in the course of our everyday life, which suddenly don't seem so typical. And some of the emotional responses that can evoke? And then how do we deal with that in a way that by the time the dust settles and the crisis du jour is behind us, um, we've come out of it, if not unscathed, at least ready to prosper. And we didn't do so in such a way that we <laughs> embarrassed ourselves or lost friends along the way, because in a crisis, right. uh, the emotions sometimes can be running quite high. Absolutely. So I thought we would do something a little bit different before we got started today. So he doesn't know. That I'm doing this. And by the way, he made me wear headphones today. So if Joe we're Rogan like really... wears headphones on his podcast, we right. should probably wear okay. headsets. Okay. So we're wearing headsets. Right. We look professional. Right. Yes. Um, so we've been doing this um, show, but we really haven't told them much about ourselves. Okay. So I thought we could start by asking each other maybe three questions. Okay. And just get to know our each other, I mean, and then get to know us a little bit. So I threw this on him completely. Yeah. Well, don't forget <laughs> that I also have access to a microphone and I can always turn the tables on you. So. Well, yeah, you get your own three questions. <laughs> all right. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, I, I, my suspicion is that you've already got some questions in mind. So why don't you go ahead and fill the first one my way and give me a chance to come up with something I can pose to you. Okay. Um, let's just start off. We'll, we'll throw you a softball and, um, I'll be the judge of that. Yeah. what was your first job? My first W2 job was working as a short order cook at John Conti's in the mall. Okay. So that was the first time where I actually reported to work, clocked in, right. received a, uh, a pay stub, you know, at the end of the week or every two week period. Now, prior to that, I, mean, you know, I was out there cutting grass. Oh, I, yeah. I did have a paper route for the Courier Journal when I was 13, 14. Um, but I would probably say John Conti's was probably the first official employment that I probably had. Okay. So um, you were in the Air Force. Yes. And which meant that you traveled around. So where would you say your favorite place was that you have been um, or lived? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to be very brief. So when people find out that I've been to like six continents or you know, 80 countries, they might say, oh, my gosh, you've been everywhere. And when I was maybe two continents in, maybe 10 countries in, I began to believe that, oh, my gosh, I have been everywhere. But then you reach a certain point where you realize like for each place I went, there was so much more of the world that I really hadn't seen. Right. Right. You know, it's kind of like, well, I touched down in Denver once, you know, on a layover. So I've been to Colorado. Like, right. Um, so uh, of all the places I have been, 
I have a true wanderlust. Like I always love to go to the next thing, right? If I found out that the world's fourth largest ball of twine was only an hour outside my uh, Motel 6 <laughs> in Bozeman, Montana, I would go. But of all the places I have been that I would instantly return to, it would be Israel. Wow. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, the old city in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. But I mean, for, for reasons, because um, I'm such a history nerd, uh, there are layers of history upon layers of history. You can go back 3,000 years to the founding of the city of David, fast forward 2,000 years to the entry of Jesus uh, in the Holy Week, a thousand years later with the Crusades. And in the 60s and 70s, so much of what has happened there has shaped the modern geopolitical landscape. So I was in heaven. And even my kids, you know, uh, enjoyed uh, time with their old man dragging them around from site to site. So yeah. Jerusalem specifically, but Israel in general, absolutely, I would go back in a heartbeat. Okay. All right. Third and final question, <laughs> and probably something you'll be just as passionate about. Um, tell us about your family structure, who, wife, kids, grandkids. So my wife and I will be celebrating 30 years of marriage this year in December. Um, we got married in middle school and, uh, right, right, you know. <laughs> we did get married young and we have a daughter, Cassandra, who's uh, 29 and our son, Alexander just graduated from IU. He's 22. So we, we just reached a point in our three decade marriage a few years ago where we were actually able to enjoy each other's company you know, right. without that gaggle of kids right. <laughs> that you mentioned earlier. And so, uh, because we had Cassandra within that first year of marriage, um, uh, all through our you know, 20s and 30s, you know, we, our social schedule was was dominated by their calendar. Sure, sure. T-ball, band recitals, uh, show choir, basketball games, volleyball tournaments. So once our youngest Alexander got his driver's license and we were no longer on chauffeur duty because our kids right. were always very oh, yeah. active. We had this newfound freedom, like, oh my gosh. Uh, so honey, I'm, uh, to my wife, I said, okay, well, my name's Sean. Um, <laughs> 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 I'm the guy that, you know, <laughs> lives in the house with you. <laughs> so we, we've really been enjoying the past few years. And um, it's funny because our kids, you know, in their twenties and now you know, Cassandra should be 30, you know, uh, within a year, you know, they're grinding as young adults, right, you know, right, working. Alexander's got like seven different jobs at any given time, and on top of being a full time college student, so they see, you know, Shinko, you know, my wife and I, you know, we're on the boat, we're going on vacations, we're going out to dinner. They're like, this isn't fair, you know. You have more of a social life than we do. And I said, kids, it's easy. It, it, it's a simple, it's a simple plan. Work really hard for a quarter of a century, save your money. Yeah. And don't make too many bad decisions. That's it. That's all That's there is it. to it. You know? so <laughs> one day you too can live this luxurious middle-class lifestyle. All right. All right. So those, those weren't too bad. No. All right. Just give, give us, give you a little idea about okay. who, well, now who I have to, you know, hang right. out with here. <laughs> yeah. Look here. All right. Well, now it's my turn. All right. All right. Who of your close friends do you hate the most? I'm just oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we talked about drama right no. before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. So I'll, I'll kind of maybe take what you said and, and reverse that a bit. Uh, talk to us about your family. Okay. Well, um, I, uh, I'm divorced. So, but I have four children and Matthew is 33. And again, I had him when I was 10. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So right. he's 33. Jessica is 28. Kaylee is 20. And Austin is 18, and he just graduated on Saturday. So 
I am about to go into that whole empty nest. And um, I get what you say whenever, you know, when Austin got his license two years ago, I was like, this is the first time in over 30 years that I'm not the taxi driver. Yeah, 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 right. You know, so (laughs) believe me. and, (laughs) And they went, you know, like mine, my kids went to North Oldham, which is, which is out in the middle of nowhere. You know, you can't get there and not have to leave. I mean, you know, it, it's not just a quick round trip if you're in town. Yeah. And so, sure. you sure. know, when I'd have to go pick them up from school or something and, and do that, it just Everything's it took out. Everything's a commute. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you can go any direction, of course, you want with this. And, and like I'll, I'll convey or maybe concede my guilty pleasure is watching Dog the Bounty Hunter. People okay. would not expect that about me. So what, what is a guilty pleasure that you've got that people just don't know about you? Hmm. All right. I play Tune Blast on my phone. Okay. It's just, uh, a, it's just a game uh, that I don't okay, have all right. to so think game, too right? much I'm, about. I'm, <laughs> yeah. And I play, I play that. And, you know, if I'm waiting in line, it just helps. All right. I'm not going to sit here and be like, I need to be somewhere, you know? So I was like, I just take the time. I have to sit in line and, and I play my game and all right. okay. All right. Um, so, so the asteroid is hurtling towards earth. The president comes on and says that in 12 hours, the planet's going to be detonated. You've got a couple of hours to prepare your last meal. Oh, What are you going to dine on as you watch the impending doom of planet earth? Wow. My favorite food, so I don't know that I would prep it because it's very um, time intensive. You got 12 hours. Yeah, right. You know, I'm probably just going to go to the nearest Mediterranean restaurant and get, you know, I love grape leaves, um, uh, kibbe, uh, you know, my my dad was Italian and Lebanese. Okay. And so we grew up on that kind of food. Yeah. And so, yeah, that would probably be what I would go for. But yes, that food is very labor intensive. She's more cosmopolitan than I am. I just would have said bacon. <laughs> I'm a very simple man. Simple pleasure. Yeah, if I see anything Mediterranean on the menu. Okay, I'm... got it. So. All right. So um, thank you for surprising me, but not making that too terribly painful. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to think next week how I'm going to spring something on you. Okay. So we we said that we were going to talk about you know crisis leadership. And for the listening audience, um, maybe to have some baseline definition of a crisis. Uh, Let's think about something that is truly uh, unusual. You know, if, if all of a sudden, uh, you know, you get a flat tire on the way to work, that's not a crisis. I mean, tires go flat, right? You know, air conditioning goes out eh, not a crisis. Employees call in sick right before big job, but something that is truly a shock to the system, uh, something for which you can't just go to the shelf and pull a ready-made solution off the shelf. And obviously, um, unfortunately, you know, crises were something I had some opportunities to um, practice my craft in, you know, as a military commander. But uh, Stephanie, what, what are you thinking? Like when you hear about crisis and then crisis response, you know, where do your, where do your thoughts go? Well, you know, I took some time and really once we decided on this topic and just started looking some things up and, um, you know, unfortunately, like one of them is, you know, we, that we recently had right here in Louisville, you know, when you get an active shooter, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's not a, 
that's not a crisis that you're prepared for mm-hmm. and hopefully never have to deal with, but yeah. not, you know, but certainly hopefully never, not more than once. Sure. You know, but, um, but I did look up different crises and, you know, there are actually companies that help you to prepare for crisis management. Mm -hmm. And a lot of your big companies have things like that. Oh, for sure. You know, in place, they they have to sit and go, okay, here's all the different types of crises and and do that. But a lot of your small companies don't. Right. So I thought I would go through the list of what these companies say are the top crises. So first, there's economic. So obviously, you know, our financial... Um, how the market's going, how the economy, and that can affect yeah. what your sales are, your revenue, and things like that. Um, informational, so IT, and we're seeing a lot more oh, yeah. of that. And there, it it doesn't seem to matter how big or how small right. you are. That one's a tough one to prepare for. Um, physical, which can be supplies and equipment. You know, especially during COVID, we certainly saw where people couldn't get supplies. Right. And um, HR, so losing a key employee, not being able to find enough employees, um, reputational. Mm. And then um, psychopathic, which is that terrorism, things like that, and then natural disasters. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that they say that you should have an active plan Right. In place for each one. Yeah. So you make a great point. You know, if we think about here in the local community, the big flagship corporations like UPS, Humana, GE, Yum Brand, Papa John's, you know, Brown Foreman companies that have, uh, they might not have a dedicated cell that they call crisis response team, but I guarantee you they have some well-codified contingency plans right. on the shelf that they can pull off uh, that at least gives them those initial steps. And and I say initial steps because one thing that I learned um, in the military, um, whether as a pilot or as a commander, when something all of a sudden goes horribly wrong, you know, like very, very quickly, right. the people will go one potato, two potato, three potato. And if the leader who is vested with formal authority doesn't begin to provide some direction, they will instinctively just like look to the next person right. that they implicitly thinks may get them going. What, what I always tried to be mindful of was that when that happened uh, and I was in a leadership capacity was to not feel like I needed to provide top-down solutions to everybody but I felt like I had this obligation to at least provide some degree of top-down reassurance. Sure. Because when people are emotionally distraught, they are extraordinarily less likely to be at their intellectual peak. Correct. And yeah. in a crisis, you need people to be at their cognitive you know, peak proficiency to come up with the solutions. Because again, by definition, the crisis is outside of normal operations. The day-to-day sure. logistical administrative processes, which define the company, aren't going to work to get you out of this predicament. So you're going to need people to be creative, to be sharp, to be quick, to be thorough, to be comprehensive, to be concise. And it's really hard to do that if the leader is running around like Chicken Little. Right. <laughs> the sky is falling, <laughs> right, right? And uh, so, so again, <laughs> what, I, what I discerned over time, uh, first as a junior 
remember watching leaders in crises. And then, you know, when it was my turn, you know, you know, step into the breach that uh, if you could provide, even if it was a bit of a facade, some amount of what I would call perhaps emotional sanctuary, mm-hmm. then suddenly the people that are going to generate the solutions that are going to fix this, they feel more at liberty to really engage their intellect. Because somehow if you have communicated to them, all right, I'm not naive. Today is dark. This is bad. Right. But if they believe that somehow some way tomorrow may be a little bit brighter, they're going to be much quicker and much more inclined to come up with, you know, some, some problem solving. So, um, you know, in larger companies, there's usually, you know, when we talk about, you know, key people leaving in large companies, there's usually, um, enough backup that, you know, they don't have to worry if, if they lose one person, the ship still runs and whatever, you know, but with small companies that, that can kill a business. That's right. Their their department may be one person. Right. 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 So (laughs) all of a sudden, you know, you're in trouble because that person left or something happened to them. They're sick, you know, whatever. Um, And so, you know, just some people wouldn't think, oh, just because somebody quit, you know, that it's not, that shouldn't be a big deal, but it is for, you know, for small companies. And, and especially if you're a single person company, <laughs> yeah, you know, you get hurt and sit, you know, you all of a sudden right. you are the company. Yeah. But, um, you know, so the, the big thing for crisis management is, you know, planning. Mm-hmm. So not just waiting to, and being reactive, Mm-hmm. but being proactive, I think, yeah. in in a lot of those areas. And then, of course, you know, you're going to be how you respond to it during the crisis. And then after the crisis, do people feel like you're taking charge to know that you're going to minimize the chances of that again? Right. So you talked about smaller companies especially, but it, it I think, holds true for even larger companies. Like one thing when I was – a squadron commander in the Air Force, you know, we had different shops, you know, that's what we called them anyway, sections, you know, tactics, training, scheduling, evaluation. And one of the things that everybody was charged with, and we always use the analogy, if you got hit by a bus this morning, can somebody come in here and pull a continuity binder off the shelf that walks them through right. the 80% of the job that you do every day? I don't need a Byzantine wiring diagram for every last thing you do, but the basic core functions that your department has to do that integrate into the larger operation. So one thing that we always did uh, was we would have a continuity binder, you know, that had all the different processes and they were tabbed out and things like that. And then we would, we would check it. If you were the chief of training, I don't want to see you walk me through your continuity binder. I want to grab some random Joe out of the hallway, bring him or her in pull out your continuity binder and, okay, where is this file kept? You know, how do we get to this app on the computer? And, and that really helps with some of that personnel right. turnover or person, you know, somebody just calls in sick. Yeah. Now on the crisis side, you know, that was what I just talked about for the day-to-day ops. What I found in developing, and I'll keep using the same terminology, continuity binders for a crisis was that it didn't need to be full of all the steps to take but at least be full of all the questions to ask. 
Right. So you could have a tab for natural disaster, a tab for workplace violence, a tab for, and you'll fill in the blank. And the questions would at least start the machine back up and running to figure out the status of all your resources. And, and it, it at least gets people kind of moving because the first thing that happens in a crisis is everybody kind of freezes, like the proverbial deer in the headlights. Right. But if you pull something out that gets people moving and asking the right questions, then suddenly people's brain cells begin to start, you know, the synapses are firing and, and suddenly the good ideas begin to kind of float towards the surface. Sure. So, um, so I think it's really important. And whether you go and you find a crisis management company to help you get a plan in place mm-hmm. or, you know, use YouTube or whatever mm-hmm. to kind of get, you know, but it's worth taking that time it is. to really sit down and go through all of those types of crises and then training your staff on what to do. You know, what, what's the step if this happens? It's right. one of those if then, um, if this yes. happens, then you do this and they know, and you do that training, you know, quarterly or monthly, you know, whatever yeah, it is. That's right. And, and make sure that they're prepared because the better prepared, you know, you're still going to have somebody who freezes mm-hmm. or gets the steps, but if everybody's prepared, somebody will be like, oh yeah, this, if it, if it's really been ingrained when this happens, I do this. That's right. And yes, because, you know, we, we talked earlier how a crisis is going to engender an emotional right. element. I don't care who you are. I, I mean, as an Air Force pilot, you know, there wasn't a time that a red light didn't come on in the cockpit that my heartbeat didn't probably bump up a little bit, right? No. But through all the training that preceded that, okay, all right, take a deep breath. There's procedures for this. So with, you know, you imagine you're a small company. If all of a sudden tomorrow, Wednesday, you come into work and you fire up the computer and there's a ransom note that says, I need $10,000 in Bitcoin to release your files. And you've never thought about what would happen if we suddenly had a cyber attack. Right. Because again, if you're the, if you're the big boys, well, they've got entire IT departments sure. that talk about this stuff a lot. But if you're a sole proprietor or you've got, you know, eight to 10 employees, I, I would encourage you to consider that the two hours you spend at some point with your cup of coffee in an air conditioned room, when you're not emotionally charged, thinking through and maybe writing down what are the first five things I would do, that would be some of the best time you mm-hmm. would have spent as opposed to the first time you think about it right. is when your entire business is electronically shut down right. because you've been hacked, right? So yeah, it's time well spent. Preparation is key. So, um, and that's where I will, you know, insurance agents, you can you can thank me for, for this, but, um, <laughs> you know, there is insurance that helps so should that get done you know it does help take care of the ransom it does help you know with with that loss yeah and whatever you know so um if if you're storing data if you're using your website and it's whatever you know and all of the things that go with it um it's good to have something like that and that's a prep prep plan yeah, so oftentimes when people think about crisis management, they they tend to somewhat myopically focus in on the response. But there are stages to crisis management, right. and you know prevention is one. Right? Like is 
are there things you can do that no kidding immunize you from this even happening? If not, the next step is, are there things I could do so as to mitigate the fallout if it does occur? If that doesn't work, how do I prepare for the inevitability of this happening? And then when it does happen, then you get to the response. Right. And then after the response, you have to get into the recovery. But by that point, you know, your circadian rhythm is probably jacked up because you're, 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 you've been losing sleep. You've been emotionally distraught. Uh, but there's other phases prior to the proverbial house is on fire. Now what do we sure. do? Like there's some things you can do beforehand. And I say that as somebody who is completely appreciative of the fact that some of the people listening are already trying to cram 140 hours of work into their 70 hour work week. And they're right. thinking, where do I have the time? And again, I, that is not lost on me. I would just simply throw out there as one who has been through crises, I've never gone through a crisis. And on the other side of it thought, I really wish we hadn't wasted time preparing for this. It right. wasn't until after the fact that I realized, oh my gosh, I don't know what would have happened if we hadn't dedicated some time, some energy, maybe even a little bit of you know money in the form of resources on the front end. Right. Well, and that's, you know, that's the old adage about sharpening your ex. Yeah. While and, you're using it. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, yes, yeah. it takes some time, yeah. but afterwards it's worth it because it helps, helps you move forward in a better way. So, um, you know, a few steps that I saw, you know, that, that business, you know, should take the IT insurance is yeah. one, um, securing lines of credit because you can't get credit when you need it. You know, like when, when you, right, when yeah. you're into that crisis, <laughs> they're not giving you money. Yeah. So, you know, right. having lines of credit so that when you do have those economic impacts that you can pull from things. Sure. Um, that's a really important one. Having those handbooks, like you said, with yeah. everything key personnel do step by step um, so that somebody can come in and at least get the job done. Yeah. And, you know, and eventually you work to find somebody who can get the job done as well as, as the other person. But, right, right. <laughs> <you know? laughs> um, but communication, training your team, and then, you know, when these things happen, making sure that you even communicate with your clients and customers about some of this, you know, because, you know, whether it's reputation, whether data has been lost, whether something significant has happened, you've lost a key employee, sometimes it's good to go ahead and prepare mm -hmm. clients, you know, to say, hey, we're going to be a little bit slower right now, you know, in sure. getting to things because we are trying to, um, you know, we have lost a key employee and we do yeah, have to get right. this done. But people are very understanding when they know. Oh, yeah. What's going on, you know? Sure. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it is becoming exceedingly difficult in this interconnected world to keep secrets. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so to keep them from your employees, to keep them from your suppliers, to keep them from creditors, to keep them from your clients. Right. So I'm putting myself into the shoes of a client whereby a significant part of my business hinges upon you delivering a service for which I'm you know, paying you. If I get the phone call proactively from you, hey, just so you know, this has happened. These are the steps we're taking uh, to right. deal with it. This is the anticipated timeline when we will resume normal operations. And then here is 
you know, here's how you contact us if you have any disruptions, any sure. questions. Um, if I get that, I'm going to be put at ease as opposed to I see somebody start posting on Facebook that a key supplier of mine had X, Y, and Z happen. And then when I call and it sounds like all hell's broken loose and like right, people right. in the background, suddenly I'm like, all right, well, who else in, who else in town can do this? Let me, let me go ahead and call right. them and maybe start, you know, greasing the skids on that in case I want to shift. Because reputational crisis may not be the problem at that moment, but if without communication, then it can turn into reputation. Yeah. Crises also. Yeah, that's right. And, and people look at anybody over the age of five, you know, understands that the world sometimes, you know, takes some funny turns. So nobody would be shocked to find out that, especially if they're business people, that yeah. a business has had a disruption or a shock to their system. Sure. When, when, and especially after the last few years. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, change is the constant, right? So, uh, you know, cyberspace, you know, as a war fighting domain, uh, was under the umbrella of the Air Force for a while, just like the Air Force used to be as the Air Corps under the umbrella of the Army. And eventually they figured out, hey, you know, this Air Force might be something we should probably just make a standalone service. Right. So when cyber became more and more critically important to how we functioned within the Department of Defense, at first the attitude was we need to put this firewall around it so that it is bulletproof so that nothing ever happens because heaven forbid we try to fight a war without email right and what we found was that no matter what barriers you erect no matter what iron processes and protocols you put in place something's going to happen so then the shift became okay let's continue to devote resources to trying to inoculate ourselves from a problem but let's really focus on being resilient not right. if, but when it happens. Right. And I think that's the spirit of what we're talking about. It's like, no matter what you do, you, you have to be right 100% of the time. The universe has to be right once to, yeah. <laughs> to you know, really disrupt your operation. The focus uh, really should be put somewhere on resiliency. Right. Such that not again, if, but when this happens, okay, everybody take a breath. We've anticipated this. As a matter of fact, we've even got a 12-step process to get us going in the right direction to rectify it. So, you know, and it's, it's interesting because right before like the week, right before the shooting happened here in Louisville, um, I'd had somebody reach out on LinkedIn and they were offering an active shooter training. Mm. And I thought, you know, I hate that. I think I probably should take that just because you just don't know. If and yeah. when, you know, um, I didn't, I was on vacation that week. And so I didn't end up going to that one. And then the very next week we had that yeah. shooter. Now, luckily I wasn't there. I didn't need to employ it, but it just drove it home that, you know, yeah, we probably should have that training. And, um, you know, it all, it all depends on the type of work you're, doing but no matter what you know i mean things things are happening out of our control all over the place um so so do whatever you know definitely do the trainings um again there are companies that will come in and help you set all these up in place mm -hmm. um so if you just really feel like you don't have the time to put it in you know to to get all that together I think it's worth the investment. Um, I'm a small business owner, and I'm realizing as I've even gone through this, I'm like, mm, I got some things 
sure, that I right. need to do, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes I, we say things, <laughs> we listen to the playback, think, yeah, that's, that's good advice. I should probably, yeah, I'll probably, I should probably do take that. that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, you know, key employee stuff. I, I mean, I have to deal with those things and need, you know, you know, backup because certain, certain things, uh, you know, others don't know how to do. And so, yeah. And I guess as we're reaching our time here, you know, whenever, you know, we have watched the horror movies and, you know, the, the antagonist has entered into the house and we're like, Oh my gosh, why did, why did the babysitter run down to the cellar? She should have. Okay. Look, when, when, when you are under emotional duress, you're not ready to sit down and take the SAT. So the idea, you know, we watched the movies and well, the Avengers did this. That's not real life. You know, in real life, all of us are emotional creatures and we are susceptible to succumbing to the stress of the situation. And that is why as an air force pilot, uh, I can assure you, there was really nothing that special about us. Uh, part of our matriculation was to spend hour after hour after hour in that simulator being bombarded with emergencies so that we can develop some degree of muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Therefore, when it happened in real life, uh, I didn't coin this phrase, but we never rose to the occasion. We sank to the level of our training. Right. And if that level of training was sufficient, we live to fight another day. So I would, as my parting comment, encourage folks, uh, I'm not fatalistic. I'm not a doomsday uh, you know, prognosticator, but just think about what are the things that we do in our business that could be probably disrupted at some point. And as I'm sitting here with you know, uh, my wits about me, what are a few procedures I could put in place to deal with that inevitability? So, yeah, hopefully you got something out of this that will help you run your business. Um, Again, I'll quickly just name off the types of disasters um, so that you, maybe if you didn't write them down before, you can prepare for those. So, obviously, economic, which is financial, you know, whether the market or whatever is not doing as well, Um, then IT physical with supplies and equipment, um, HR, then um, reputational, Mm -hmm. uh, psychopathic, and natural disasters. So, you know, take time, look through, see how you can prepare for those. You know, a lot of times with a natural disaster, there's not, that, that can be a tough one. Yeah, you're not prepare for mother nature's undefeated. Right. right? But (laughs) But. it may mean that you want to make sure that certain things are in, you know, certain documents that you know you're going to have to have certain, you know, drives, things like that. Uh, Yeah. Having things backed up and having those um, in some sort of type of safe or whatever, you know, so that you don't have a fire, you don't have things like that. That's right. You know, if, if, if there's a flood and we're packing in the animals two by two, there are certain natural disasters that are just going to be you know, enders, but, you know, we live in, for us here in Kentuckiana, you know, we're subjected to ice storms, tornadoes, you know, flash floods, wind storms. I mean, wh- how would that impact your business? Right. How right. has it impacted your business? And when it happens, not, you know, it's going to happen again, right? Um, how can we be prepared for that? That's right. So again, hope you got something out of it. If you have questions or, you know, we would love to hear comments, feel free to comment on our, um, on the video, we'll try to answer, you know, at least online where there is. And then you can follow us and hear all of our um, 
podcasts on Spotify, Audible, Apple Podcasts. Um, we're on YouTube, as well as then Facebook and LinkedIn on either of our um, pages. You'll see those things. So we appreciate you being with us. And if you did get something, we'd also love to have you share it. And we look forward to having you join us next week. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.